Welcome to the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast, where excuses aren't tolerated and results are earned through authenticity, vulnerability, and a commitment to excellence. My name is Amber Furman, success architect, attorney, and NLP trainer. If you're ready to bitch slap the bully in your brain, overcome the bullshit that holds you back, and design the life and success you've always wanted, then it's time for you to break your bullshit box and step into designing life and success on your terms. Welcome to another episode of the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast. I'm so excited to have Chris Miles with us today. He's the cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor, and we get in in this episode to some of the things that gets thrown around in the financial advisor world that he wishes he could eliminate. The advice that just is not really going to take you to where you want your goals to be. He is a leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. He's an author, podcast host of the Money Ripples podcast. He's been featured on US News, CNN Money, Entrepreneurs on Fire, Bigger Pockets, and he has a proven reputation with his company, Money Ripples, which can be found at moneyripples.com. He gets his clients fast financial results. In fact, his personal clients have increased their cash flow by $300 million in the last 13 years. Chris is so open on this podcast. I loved the direction that we went in talking about some of the financial pitfalls of the industry, as well as how his experiences with marathon running and ballroom dancing impacted the way that he runs his business and some of the things that he learned from those activities. Before we jump in to this interview with Chris, I wanted to let you know that there are some really cool things coming from Success Development Solutions and the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast. And one of those things is the Break Your Bullshit Box Academy, where over nine to 12 weeks, I'm going to be walking you through how to really schedule, plan, create the success that you want to have. We're going to have a mixture of mindset. We're going to have a mixture of tactical advice for how to structure your day and create that reality for yourself. I'm really, really, really excited for this. So if you want to be in the know for this, head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com and um, go ahead and get on the mailing list there so that you can be the first to know all the updates. Or you can head over to Facebook and join the Success Center community. It will be announced there as all my programs are before anything else, before it's available to anybody else. I'm super, super proud of what we're putting together. And I cannot wait to help you create the freedom and the success that you want in your life. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Chris Miles. Chris, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to be here. I'm looking over, I think it is your left shoulder, unless your camera is mirrored. Um, live yeah. your life now, not tomorrow. And I have to point that out because I love it so much. Um, I'm curious to know what role that plays in the way that you run your business. Yeah, I love that phrase too. I even, funny enough, I wore it for my shirt too. So, oh my gosh, I didn't even see. Well, I couldn't see that. So, that's really yeah. cool. Now you got to see what's beneath, that. you know, what's beneath the surface there. Yeah. Uh, I won't share my, my shorts. In more stuff, ways but. than one. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, like, it's actually something I really do, uh, really do value, even though I'm not perfect at it. Right. Because, the truth is my wife will call BS on me all the time. Say like, Oh, come on, Chris. Like you say, live your life now, but you're, you know, being tortured by this. You you're prioritizing this over this. Right. And it's true. I mean, I, I don't live it perfectly, but I'll tell you the thing that inspired me was actually seeing my family, my parents and how they grew up, you know, because, you know, I was, I was raised with good values of work hard. Your word is your bond, you know um, you know, follow your dreams, and your passions. But I mean, even though they kind of did that, the thing is, I also heard the opposite, like, you know, the things about money, like you can't afford this, but you think money grows on trees. I'm not made of money, you know, and, and even my dad, you know, and, and he's on my mind a lot lately because we're talking about his elderly, elderly care at this point. But, mm. you know, with him, it was always like, you know, my job is going to literally kill me. Like I'm going to work dying. And I never wanted to live that kind of life. Right. Because, you know, it was always about someday. 
you know, and, and, and I think for most people it is, it's always like, well, you know, eventually when, you know, I get to the point I can retire quote unquote, or I get to the point where I have enough money, then I'll have the time freedom to do stuff. Or, you know, when I'm, you know, in the best shape, you know, then I'll do this, you know, all those kind of things that we give as just dumb excuses, um, yeah. you know, understandably. So I get it, but it, it's definitely keeps us from living that life today, you know, and, and uh, it's interesting because, you know, since that time, like I actually became, you know, I, I, we can go into it later, but I mean, I became a financial advisor, realized they're all full of crap. So uh, <laughs> I actually left to uh, go do real estate investing and things like that. Was able to retire the first time when I was 28, almost 29 years old. And even went through the recession, like the last great global recession that we had in, in 2008, kicked my butt. I went over a million dollars in debt, had to dig out of that hole um, and then retired again for the second time uh, in 2016 when I was 39 years old. And and even talking to my dad recently, he was just like, you know, Chris, I don't even understand your life. Like, it's just so foreign to me because he's like, I was working to survive. Like, I was working to try to create a good life for you and the kids. But, I mean, the fact that you guys go travel whenever you want, you can do stuff. Like, that's just not a life that I, I'm, I'm familiar with. It's just, it's so foreign to me. And, and that's, and that's kind of what I wanted my life to be by design, right? I didn't want to have something where, you know, what if I died tomorrow? Like what would, what would happen then? Like all those regrets that you would have. And, you know, even just giving my, you know, hang, spending time with your kids when they still want to spend time with you. That's hard. Cause I mean, once, once they get to be about teenagers, I have six of the eight of our children. We have a blended family. Six okay. of the eight children are teenagers right now. Uh, the oldest is almost 20. And I'm telling you, like it's, it goes, it, it went by slowly for me, to be honest. Um, everybody says it goes by so fast. Not when you have eight kids, it feels like you're just, <laughs> And just run through the mud slowly. But, but if you always do say the someday thing, that time does go by quickly. And to be able to get to the point, say, you know what, no excuses, screw it. I'm doing this right. That to me is what makes memories and makes it worthwhile. Yeah. There's so much that you said that, um, I absolutely love and want to dig into a little bit more. The people who listen to this podcast regularly know, um, because I talk about it here and also in my book, um, my dad died in 2001. He was 42. Wow. Um, and I turned 41 yesterday and that mm. is a big number for me. I've always said the closer I get to 42, the more it hits just how young he was. Cause I was 18 when he passed away. And when you're 18, 42 seems ancient. Mm -hmm. And you think, man, they had such a long life. And then you get to 40, 35, 40, 41. And the, the idea that I could only have one more year to make an impact if I was on that same trajectory is crazy to me. Um, so I definitely love the live for today, not tomorrow. We have to plan for tomorrow. We can't just throw yeah. all of our stuff away. At the same time, tomorrow's not guaranteed. And nope. I hear it so much, especially in the legal industry where I come from, that I've just got to put up with this for another 10 years and then I can retire and then I can do whatever you want, whatever I want. And I'm like, you hope, like you hope you get to retire. I mm -hmm. hope you do too. So I love that you're spreading that message. Um, I'm also curious, you mentioned <laughs> that you realized all financial planners were full of shit. And <laughs> I love talking to people from the financial world mm -hmm. and finding out what they do that's different. So what is one piece of money advice that you see thrown around like candy that you wish you could just erase from the planet? Oh, just one. Oh my god. Just gosh. one. I mean, or, you can go into more than one if you want, but let's yeah. pick the most harmful, the most toxic. I would say the high risk creates high returns. Mm. No, you know what? That's another one. I'm going to, there, there's just a spoiler for you. No, I'm going to say this one. Did you go along with the theme that you just said, right? Is that you're in it for the long haul. Ooh. Like you're in it for the long haul is one of the biggest BS lines ever, because think about it. The only time they really say that is when you're losing money. It's like, oh, you know, it's okay. The stock market goes up over time. You're in it for the long haul. Well, if you want to be retiring next year and then all of a sudden the market tanks, how long does that long haul become? Do you wait another five, 10, 15 years? Because that's what happened to my dad too. Like my dad, like, oh, by the way, he did have strokes and heart attacks by his 40s and 50s. 
Like he was literally dying from the stress. And then, you know, I remember 2000 was rolling around. We had Y2K and, uh, and I didn't know what was going on in his life, but I remember sitting down with him. It was actually at the end of 2005. So after I'd been in the business for several years, he said, Chris, when are you going to advise me? And so I sat down with him for the first time. He always wanted to hide money. He never wanted to, you know, get, you know, show his cards, right? He had kept it close to his chest. And then, and so he just said, I want to retire. I'm 61 years old at that point, right? I'm 61 years old. I want to retire. What do I need to do? And I looked at his finances. And I said, okay, you're debt-free, including your house. Good job. Dave Ramsey would have been freaking proud of you. Um, but, and you've also been stuffing your 401k, like every good boy and good girl should. And he's getting the match, you know, everything that you're supposed to be doing right. And I said, dad, I'm going to be honest with you. If you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's when you'll run out of money. Okay. Well, what do I do, Chris? I don't know. You did everything right. I, I could put you in this stock or that stock, but the truth is I have no clue. And what happened to him to get back to that point is that, you know, in Y2K or right before the crash of Y2K, he started hearing about his coworkers making all this money because they mm. moved some money to tech stocks. This new thing that started to come out, the internet, you know, and, and all these tech companies are booming. So he moved his money over to tech. And of course, what's happened is in 2000, they crash. So he loses the money. Now, by that point, when I met with him in 2005, yeah, it came back up again. And of course, we're just a few years away from another crash yet to happen again, right? And and of course, you know, if you have somebody like that, if 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 I weren't just so perplexed by you know that that whole situation, you know, I would have said, well, just keep saving. You're in it for the long haul. Just keep going. And he was because of those two different dips and crashes that affected his retirement accounts. He wasn't able to retire till really the mid 2010s. He was in the 70s before he could finally retire. And even then, still, it was. How do I let this money stretch? How do I not outlive my money? Mm. That I think is so dangerous because it's always focused on accumulating. And it's always 30 or 40 years down the road, right? When that financial advisor is going to be retired you know, from their business and they're not going to be retired from the investments they're doing. They're going to be retired from the commissions they're earning by keeping your money under management. That's right. how they make their money. And that was made very apparent to me when I uh, spoke to a friend a few weeks after that where... Um, you know, he, he had actually, I hired him to be a financial advisor, but he quit to go to real estate investing. And we got an argument about what's better stocks or real estate. And he stopped me and said, Chris, how many of your clients are truly financially free where they don't worry about money? Well, none. Cause they all worry about running out of money. Even like, just like my dad. Right. Okay, great. Good job, Chris. Way to help no one. How about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing these investments. And as I thought about it, I realized there's guys working in that office since the late 1970s could not retire themselves. Why would I expect any of our clients to do it either? Because we're supposed to have it all figured out, right? We're the and, financial And genius. why would you, and, and that's such an important thing that goes outside of the financial industry is mm -hmm. if somebody is telling you to do something that either they're doing and not getting good results from, or they're mm -hmm. not doing, that's advice that you shouldn't be following, right? Like I come from the coaching world. And the first question that I always ask whenever I'm about to hire somebody is tell me about the coaches that you work in your life, right? Because yeah. how are you going to coach me on anything if you don't think you need coaches in your life as well? I think this way with the stock market too, or with any type of investments, how are you going to tell me that I should put my money here if you don't feel yeah. comfortable doing the same thing? That's right. Yeah. That's, that's why I had to leave the industry a few months later. I just couldn't, I couldn't reconcile it anymore. You know, as either I can just keep making money, put my blinders on and ignore the evidence, or do I leave and keep my integrity intact? And the truth is I'm, I'm a horrible BSer. I, I cannot, I cannot, sell something I don't believe in, or I can't practice doing. I just, I'm the kind of person that can only teach from experience. Otherwise I sound stupid when I say it. Right. So for that reason alone, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I, I left, I vowed never teach about money again. I would just, you know, be a mortgage broker and teach ballroom dancing on the side. And, and that's what I did for a while until I started to learn real estate and things I could do passively to generate enough income that I could be work optional where I work because I want to, not because I have to. Yeah, I love that word passive income. And also, I think it gets misused so often. Oh my. So what does passive income mean to you? And how does it differ from the way that you hear it thrown around by the when it's that hot button term? 
Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many people have kind of, for lack of a better term, bastardized it, right? I mean, <laughs> it's horribly used because you get, you get two, two or three different types of people out there, right? You get people out there saying, we're gonna teach you how to create passive income with real estate. But then they turn around and say, well, here's how you create a brand new wholesaling business, or you're going to learn how to flip a property, which is anything but passive, right? Yeah. Or, hey, here's this cool Amazon drop business thing you can do. Passive income for your life. No, it's, it's not. It's so much work. It's so much work. It's They're all businesses, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I actually even separate that term. Even if, if you can create systems where your business will pay you even while you're sleeping, that's awesome. I would call that residual income. But it's not anything but passive. To me, passive income is where you get your money working for you, right? It does require your, if you don't have money, you're going to have to use time and energy. There's no way around it. There is no such thing as passive if you don't have money. So it's taking your money, putting it with people that are active investors, letting them make the money from it. And you either share the returns or you get paid a debt payment, like an interest. So you can either loan your money to them or you partner together to get paid on the profits. That's, that's the easiest way to create passive income. So what are, for anybody that's listening, that's saying there's so much here that's piquing my interest because these are things I've never thought of before. When they're looking at their investments or their portfolios, no matter who they're working with now, what are some of the questions that they should be asking people? The biggest question they should be asking is, how do I get my money out of prison? Right? How do I get my money out because think about financial advice. And, and I, I'm not going to pick on Dave Ramsey because he's kind of a schmuck sometimes. Good guy. I know he's helping a lot of people, but let's admit it. I mean, Dave Ramsey is is pretty much teach people how to stay broke. Well, and um, let's be fair. He is helping a lot of people, but the people that he's helping are not the entrepreneurs that's going to go on. They're the people that, and there's nothing wrong with this, that are yep. going to work nine to five until they're 60 and then retire and then want to um, not travel and stay home and be debt free. Um, yeah. That's, that's it. Um, so that's all respect. Cause I've never met the guy. So I can't mm -hmm. disrespect somebody I've never met. However, mm -hmm. I can question the advice. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's exactly it. He's, he's focusing towards people that are spendaholics, right? People that can't manage even a single dollar. The problem is most people that listen to him are the people that already believe in what he taught. <laughs> so, Well, and more importantly, and we talk about this a lot, and this is going to lead down the road into one of my favorite conversations when we get into your marathon running experiences. Yeah. Um, if it was about the information, if it was mm -hmm. about the how, everybody would have everything that they want in life because you have the internet, yep. you have books, you have all of this stuff. You cannot fix whatever's going on money-wise in your life without addressing the mindset that created those money problems in the first place. So yeah. when you deal with somebody that says, oh, just put all your money in an envelope, like that's great. But what does that do for the mindset that created that issue in the first place? And how do we yeah. start to merge those two? And that's my biggest problem is that I never hear Dave talking about programming the mindset. It's always about the technique, the tactics excuse me, That's right. techniques and tactics of how to save money. Well, if it was how everybody would have it. That's right. And that's so. exactly it. Scarcity paradigm does not work when you want freedom. Freedom and it's scarcity true. never go together. You need an abundant Ooh. mindset with that. And, uh, and that's actually why my wife, who was one of the very first Dave Ramsey uh, teachers, instructors, that's exactly what she learned too. She said, I see what he's practicing in his life is the opposite of what he's teaching people and to do in their lives. And, uh, and not to mention it was from a scarcity perspective, right? So, so when I talk about getting money out of prison, all financial advice pretty much just sums up as saying this, pay off your debt and save it in retirement plans. That's it. And, and that's what they're paid to tell you that understand that when I was a financial advisor, I, I, I had to admit that I was a salesman in a suit. I'm not a financial expert. No, mm. I, I don't think any financial advisors are really truly financial experts. There's a few that know their stuff. Um, but usually they're trained by other companies to learn how to sell products, how to fit to their clients' needs, quote unquote, right? So when they're trying to tell you, you got to be the square peg, fit, you know, fit in this round hole, they're trying to tell you, put your money in these retirement plans and at whatever risk level you want, and then pay off all your debt. And that should be your secret to freedom. Unfortunately, I get a lot of these people that are these poster children of this philosophy that come to us saying, I, I have assets, my net worth looks good, but I'm broke. 
I have to keep working because I don't have other income streams coming in. There is no passive income for them. That's where it's lacking. So the best thing you do is find the money that's in prison and keep it out of prison, right? So don't lock your money up in those 401k plans. Don't, it doesn't matter if you get the match. Most of those funds, really all of those funds, underperform even what the stock market does. So even if you get the match, you're lucky to almost get stock market returns. <laughs> and even then, stock market returns aren't that good. They're high risk, mediocre returns, just not enough to create freedom, especially when inflation's fighting you all the time. On top yeah. of that, just because you get debt free, you lock up your money, like in your house, for example. Well, you still have to pay for the house in the sense of taxes. You got insurance costs. You got to keep paying for repairs. It never ends. So when someone's like, I want to be debt free so I don't have payments. Newsflash, you will always have payments. Always. If you come from that scarcity paradigm that, oh, I just don't ever want payments. You're never going to be free. You will always be in bondage. You'll always be a slave. So the way to get out of slavery is get your money out of prison along with your mind as well and get your money to work harder for you. So that's where I talk about getting money out. I'll give you an example. I had a, I have a client that his name is Dan and you know, he had a million dollars in his retirement plan. He was one of the lucky few, only one and a half percent of people at fidelity of the 45 million customers, only one and a half percent have a million dollars or more saved up of that one and a half percent, one third of them, 35% to be exactly think it will take a miracle to be able to retire a miracle. Mm. They don't even believe they can do it. So he was one of those people, million dollars. He goes to his financial advisor and the financial advisor says, great. Well, based on our financial advisor models, you can pull out 3% a year and you hopefully should not run out of money. <laughs> hopefully that's reassuring. Hopefully. Right. And think about it. 3% on a million dollars is 30,000 a year. You're living below the poverty line as a millionaire. You're a broke mm -hmm. ass millionaire, right? That's what you really are. And so when I, I, I really got people to pass that, I was like, no, look, you could do something more. And so he listened to my show. He saw my podcast. He said, all right, let's just see if we can really do this. And so we ended up getting that million dollars and get it to buy things like some duplexes. And he also got into some lending and he got some oil and gas things and different things where he, again, could be hands off. And that 1 million wasn't producing 30,000 a year. Now it's producing 130,000 a year. Mm. And that's not touching his million dollars. So he saw the million that golden goose is still staying fat, laying some big fat golden eggs instead of the 30,000 a year, like a little, you know, little fake egg that you buy in the store, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like a egg, you know, that's crazy. So your podcast um, is the money ripples podcast mm -hmm. and you talk about all of these things and what else? Tell me about what made you decide that you wanted to start a podcast and start sharing this in that um, forum. Funny enough, my inspiration might have been maybe similar to yours or somewhere along the same lines. Um, I started my very first podcast in 2008 after I did some AM talk radio. Um, okay. Did that with, a, with another guy, a partner on there and uh, liked it so much, but I felt like I had to do two things. One, I like saving time. So if I get a commonly asked question, the best thing I could do is let me just answer that question and then tell you to listen to the recording, and then you can ask me for clarifying questions, right? Um, so it was, a, it was like the frequently asked questions or should be asked questions, but it was also for, for legacy purposes because, you know, like you, like you had your, your, your dad that passed away at 42. I knew guys that died in a plane wreck when they were 35. Yeah. And uh, I mean, 2008, I was just getting to my 30s. I thought, what would happen if I, I've learned all this stuff and then I'd die? Mm -hmm. How would my kids learn it? So I thought if I could just record it, even if I died, I've got some sort of something that's preserved, right? And I actually, and I actually saw this firsthand. I, I don't share this very often, but um, if you ever have uh, known the UCLA famous coach, right? Um, uh -huh. uh, John, John Wooden, you mm -hmm. know, like legendary, right? Well, I was privileged enough to know uh, one of his attorneys that created um, like this video series when he was 90, just before he passed away that he was giving all this information, this like really this knowledge and wisdom he's passing on to his grandkids and great grandkids. And I got to watch some of it. Mm. And I thought that is so cool. Like it was like frozen in time, taking John Wooden's legacy and brain and can pass it on for generations. So for me, the podcasting actually started just, I wanted to address, you know, create some leverage with my time, but also that I would give my kids something that they can learn from as well. That's and really cool. Even to this day, I mean, I, I, I launched the Money Ripples podcast nine, you know, nine years ago, back in 2014. 
but uh, but still, I mean, now it's become bigger because I realized I can create a greater ripple effect. Hence the name money ripples, right? I yeah. create a greater ripple effect in people's lives by giving them something that could be, you know, knowledgeable. Even if I'm gone tomorrow, at least I know I have something out there that can benefit and bless people's lives even beyond me. I love that. Um, and is that available on all plat podcasting platforms or where can it people is. find that? Yep. YouTube, iTunes, all that stuff. Perfect. So you mentioned something earlier about being a ballroom dance teacher. And not very often do I think of somebody talking about financial advising and podcasting and money and all of this stuff, and then having this ballroom dance side. So tell me how you got into that. Yeah, that's what happens when you have a, a college dropout who majored in sociology with a triple minor in psychology, ballroom dancing, and Japanese, right? So... <laughs> Yeah, funny enough, like when I went to college, I actually only took a class, a, a social dance class my freshman year because I needed one credit to be full time. And I heard a girl tell this guy, she's like, when there's all these available classes posted up. Always on the a girl, board, right? Yeah, she's like, hey, there's tons of girls in this class. I said, I don't know what class it is. I'm going to join it. And that's how I got into <laughs> dancing. I sucked at it, by the way. Um, it wasn't until a couple semesters in that I started to believe and actually understand I could be good at this. And uh, and I actually got on ballroom dance teams. I was actually on the nation's, um, not just nations, uh, but the world championship ballroom dance formation team. Um, in fact, they even wow. won the mirror ball trophy on Dancing with the Stars after um, I had left, after I was more of the instructor at that point. Um, but yeah, that's what I was doing then. Like actually one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers, not professional, amateur, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Good for you. Um, I'm... I'm really excited about this rebrand that we did for this podcast from more than corporate, which is what it used to be to break your bullshit box, which is what it mm -hmm. is now. And to me, breaking your bullshit box is really the secret that we all get to do to be able to live the life and have the business that we want to have. Like we get to quit lying to ourselves about what our life really is and acknowledge where we're at so that we can take it where we really want it to go. And I mentioned this to you before we jumped on, um, I come from the obstacle course racing world and I can think of no other place where your excuses get ripped out of your body and like stomped on than the obstacle course racing, fitness, marathon, triathlon, Ironman world. Um, and so I know that you have this marathon background and I'm curious to know Number one, how did you get into that? And number two, what is the biggest thing that you learned about yourself and your business and your ability to be successful from marathon running? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you talk about doing obstacle courses. I, I think like the biggest obstacles I have is somebody drops their water ball, you know, on the road <laughs> and like have to run around it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so not dangerous. Well, not as dangerous, you know, even though I've, I've gotten hurt on some races before, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting because. I do see some similarities in life. Like I stopped ballroom dancing more in mid two thousands and started taking up marathons and I, I was horrible at it. I mean, my first marathon was so painful. I can't believe I even did a second one, but, um, I learned, and that's kind of time with business. I did learn that, you know, you got to listen to people that have been there, done that and still doing it. Like that's yeah. something that I think is so important in life is that like you mentioned, like when you find mentors, find people that have actually done what you're trying to do like do they have that actual experience in the coaching world right same thing like if somebody's a marathon runner you don't ask somebody who's said oh i read a few articles and uh and then i ran a 5k no yes. it's not the same you know heck even if they ran a marathon once to me that's still just not good it's got to be somebody who's like you know what i've been there i've trained i've done this i've done that i've screwed up i've, I've gotten hurt i've done this and that and here's what i discovered that worked for me and by the way it may not work for you you might have to do it your way, right? So they're very flexible on that. And yeah. I've learned that even with uh, within the coaching world in our space as well. One, I never like to teach anything unless I know I'm the best at it. And I'll say that as humbly as possible that I know that we're the best in really two things. One, helping guide people one-on-one -on -one towards passive income, like real passive income investments. And then two, implementing a strategy called infinite banking. And, like, and that's all we do. That's it. That's all I focus on. Just like when I do my running, like I focus on, one thing, right? Like now, now, granted, I was more starting with half marathons, but I progressed into marathons as I did them more and more. Um, in my business, same thing. As I started gaining experience in an area, then I would add that to our coaching. If I didn't have experience, 
that's not what we do, right? I never teach it. I never even pretend to pretend like I even know what I'm talking about. Um, the other thing too, I realized from a work standpoint is that I am very much more of a marathon runner than a sprinter. You know, when everybody's like trying to do business, you get a lot of these people out there like, yeah, we're going to hustle. We're going to make the grind and make this happen. I'm not that kind of energy. Like I'm a very steady energy. It doesn't mean that I don't like to push hard and, and, you know, cause if you see me when I do marathons, like I push dang hard to the point where like when I get my heart rate monitor stuff afterwards, it's like, oh, you should have probably, you probably would have died <laughs> <laughs> or maybe should have died, you know, with that 190 heart rate for an hour straight, you know, or whatever. Right. It might be, right. But it's just like, no, I'm just, that's what I do. Like, I, I can't just not, I can't do it just, you know, half-hearted, right? I got to do it full on, do it my best, even if I have to enjoy it, like do the best I can at whatever stage. And so when I do my business, it's the same way. It's like, how do we be the best at what we do? How do we not just go and sprint and hustle and, and pretty much destroy my life, <laughs> you know, doing yeah. it and have no social life or no family life afterwards? It's like, how do I do it where I can have everything? I can have yeah. it all. Um, it might mean that maybe my business doesn't grow as quickly as it could, but I'm happier for it. And I notice when I'm happier in my business, people are attracted to it anyways. You know, and that's, yeah. I think that's what's really important. You know, so there's a couple of things that you said that are super um, important and valuable. Um, first of all, I quit obstacle course racing for exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, when I found it, I found it because I needed to believe I could do something. It was before I really understood the mindset world and I was so stuck in my excuses. And it was obstacle course racing that started to pull me out of that. And then after the obstacle course racing world is when I opened my law firm, opened my first business, opened my second business, started coaching. It all tied back to the willingness to do something that terrified me. And in order to be willing to do something that terrified me, I had to hit my rock bottom. Mm. And that it was, it was the one thing I could think that I was interested in that didn't remind me anything about the life that I had built that I thought was supposed to be everything I wanted. Right. Yeah. And I remember when I opened my practice and I went out and I was training um, probably three years into maybe two years into um, owning my first business. Mm -hmm. And my trainer looked at me and says, why are you still doing this? And I said, well, I enjoy it and it's fun and all this stuff. And he goes, that's great. And if you get hurt, who's going to run your business? Who's going to, and, and I've never ran my, I've never ran my life out of fear. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I had to weigh whether it was important enough to me to risk that or whether I felt like I had gotten everything out of it that I wanted. So I still will dabble and go hang out. And um, but like I did a 24 hour race in 2017 and I'm like, that's just stupid. So um, it's <laughs> we did. I ran um, 25 official miles, which ended up being about 36 miles in a 24 hour period with about 500 obstacles during that 24 hour <laughs> period. And I'm like, this is like, I couldn't walk for a week and a half afterwards. I was doing, um, a bunch of uh, squeeze and freeze treatments with some cryotherapy and getting the lactic oh, acid out of my muscles for a good week and a half. And I thought this is like, there. it's one thing to show yourself you can accomplish something. It's another thing to just push yourself to the limits for no reason. Uh -huh. And then, um, so so it's it's interesting the way that you phrased it um, as far as the, the danger, because they do make it safe-ish. Mm -hmm. I mean, l let's be real, like people could die running a marathon and have a heart oh, yeah. attack, but the, we could get hit by a car walking across the road. Like I wouldn't say no to something just because it could be dangerous. Um, but the idea of falling off of walls and getting seriously hurt just wasn't worth it to me anymore. Um, That's, if I can make one more comment on that, yeah, of course, you kind of inspired me on remembering something else too, is that it really does get rid of the excuses, doesn't it? Yeah, like when it you does do something that you don't expect you could be doing or people, it's, I, I'm sure you heard all the time. People like, I could never do that. Like yeah, you see me running, you better run too, because it's a bear chasing me. You know, you hear those kind of phrases, right? Yeah. But you know, it's, it's true because I'm up until four months ago, if I get very vulnerable, I got you know, injured sadly enough, working in my yard, 
shoveling over an hour and pounding my, my heel. And then I ran a marathon after that. And I haven't ever been the same since. And I've had to like adjust to slowing down and being okay with being slower because mm. up until that point, every year I've gotten faster and faster up till I'm 46 years old. I'm like, I'm crushing it. I'm winning my age group pretty much almost every time, or at least top three easily. Um, and then all of a sudden it slows down, right? Cause I was, I was, I was addicted to telling people screw age, like age isn't anything. It's just a number. Like, look, I'm getting faster than I wasn't when I was 20, you know, I'm, I'm stronger and healthier than then. But, um, then reality slaps me in the face says, hold on. It's not a straight up line. Like you're going to have, yeah. you know, peaks and valleys along the way. And, and I know probably I'll come back and I might be faster down the road. I might not be either way. Like I've got to the point of surrender to saying, you know, what, that's just fine. And I think that's helped me in business because when I, when people say this is the way it should be, right. Just mm. like hey, you're, you're in your mid forties. Like, man, I bet you wake up old and tired and stuff. Like I have pains, but it's usually for my working out more than it is from just being old and tired, you know, that kind of stuff. And and that's why I want to keep it. And same thing with my business. When people say, well, this is what you should be doing with marketing, you know, and, and I know like my video, my marketing team is watching this now because they're going to be taking this and want to create their own little tidbits. And they're always telling me like, well, you gotta, you gotta be like taking these selfie videos and posting <laughs> on Instagram and TikTok for us and making it, we'll put it out for you, but you gotta be doing more of this stuff. I'm like, honestly, I'm not inspired. If I'm not, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not filming it. I'm not like, doing I don't it. Wanna, yeah. You know, I can't film something that I don't feel inspired about. I can't force it. You can't force, you know, that kind of stuff. It just comes off being fake. And that's a lot of F words I just said there, except for one F word, but <laughs> that's all right. We use that all the time too. So um, I always tell people, I said, I say a lot of swear words on this, but there are a couple I'll never say. Um, and it's always things like expectation and failure. So <laughs> mm, that's an F word you won't use. <laughs> I won't use that F word. I don't believe in that one. My mom, I went home for Thanksgiving couple years back. And I grew up in a really um, religious town, not a religious family, but a really religious town. Mm. And um, my mom, love her to death, um, cares about reputations and what people think of her. And I care about reputations, just not what people think of me for things like the language that I use. I care about reputations for people of what they think about me for the results that I get and the character that I have. Yeah. And um, I went home and I mean, this is why my book's titled Break Your Bullshit Box. I need to know that they know what they're going to get when they open it. Yeah. Um, and I go home a couple of years ago and my mom goes, you know, I've been listening to some of your stuff and you sure swear a lot. And I just looked at her like, um, it, it did, was this just a statement or did you want some sort of a response? Like, I, I don't know if I should say thank you. I'm not sure what you're looking for here. Um, and so it was, it, it's interesting when you're talking about your dad and not understanding your life. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things that we all deal with when it yeah. comes to our business and our life is falling in between building the life that we thought we were going to build in the eyes of our parents. And then also being able to move out of what they think that we could be to create what they could never have even imagined. Um, exactly. And that's always hard because for me, I know I felt like I was leaving behind the parts of myself that, they would no longer be able to resonate with. Um, and I had to get over that fact that they're more than welcome to come along and they don't have to understand every part of my journey. That's right. You're Kevin Bacon, you know, Kevin Bacon. You, absolutely. You have a choice in your life. You can either be Kevin Bacon, you'd be John Lithgow and just go with the crowd. Right. And just, yeah, uh, exactly. And I do I'm Kevin Bacon. So, um, <laughs> And then as far as your marathoning is going, like I, I do want to run a marathon, but the reason that I found, I really don't want to run a marathon. I want to run one so I can say that I did. I have zero desire to actually run one, except I don't like feeling like I'm not doing things because it's going to hurt. So um, I found obstacle course racing because there's an obstacle every 20 um, like quarter of a mile mm -hmm. and I can stop running. And so I don't have to run in quarter of a mile spurts. I don't actually have to run for 26 miles at a time. It's true. It's a very different yeah. training, isn't it? 
It is for sure. So for you, when it comes to the idea of breaking your bullshit box, getting rid of your excuses, what is one thing that you held on to that you had to realize no longer fit your life? What excuse was it that you said, you know what, this, this has to go in order for me to have the life that I want to have? Oof, there's been so many, but the one that just popped in my head um, was actually my previous marriage, which is surprising. I'm even bringing this up, but you know, it wasn't that like, so my, my excuse was, is that I wanted that perfect family, right? Like I wanted a perfect family for my kids. You know, we didn't even really fight in front of our kids at all, but underneath the surface and behind closed doors, it just wasn't working, you know? And, and even like from a business standpoint, I was, I was so surprised that I was sensitive so much to other people's energy. So like I could feel the scarcity energy come from another room, you know, mm. and that would affect how I did everything with business. When I finally had to get rid of the excuse of saying, listen, like really I had to, I had to see an image of my future looking worse than it is today. Right. It's like going down this path, I'm going to be unhappy. I'm going to be miserable. And very likely that this marriage will probably be miserable too. And what will that teach my kids? And so, you know, at the point where we decided, okay, we're getting divorced now. Um, once I broke away from that space, I was no longer in there once, of course I had to go through emotional turmoil, you know, during that period of time. Cause now I'm like, I was used to working at home. Now I don't have my kids. I'm lonely. I'm depressed. Um, but once I got past that, it was amazing how without that energy there, I was able to be free to break mm -hmm. and, and hit new barriers and break through new barriers. Um, but it was, but again, it was like that excuse that I was making was just, well, I have to do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, we're supposed to make marriage work. It's never easy. Right. You, know, you can always make the excuse. Oh, it's never easy. Like you just keep going. And if I would have gone back in time, I probably would have gotten professional help much earlier. And that's for sure. And then, and then decided, okay, is this really not working? If so, let's just cut it off. You know? Yeah. You know, knowing what I know now about human behavior and the scientific way that our values are formed and that um, we understand and see the world. I don't have kids. I've never wanted kids. And I love working with people who work with or have kids because that's obviously the way that we change our next generation. Um, yeah. Stay together for the kids, I think, is one of the most harmful things that anybody can ever do. And that statement is not... Um, meant to say give up soon or to disparage anybody whose religion of um, avoids allowing them to separate. That's not the purpose, but the purpose of me saying it is you can pretend as much as you want to. And kids are so intuitive and so resilient. And I think I've talked to more kids that come from separated families where the parents sit down and they say, you know what, we've tried to make this work and, and we're just going to separate. And they're like, it's about downtime. Like, thank you <laughs> for that. And let's figure out what this looks like. With that being said, though, if that's the route people are going to choose, I feel like co-parenting has to be a value of both. Yes. Has to be. So I love that. Um, and you've said a couple of times things like, um, this is what we're supposed to do. and um, this is what I should be doing. And to mm -hmm. me, if we're going to go down the road of swear words, those are the biggest swear words, right? My coach, um, she, every time she speaks, she says, I'm just going to get bibs that say I should have all over myself today. <laughs> like, yes, it's so yep. like, we lose so many opportunities focusing on what it is that we should be doing, what it is that we're supposed to be doing instead of paying attention to what it is that is going to move us closer to the goals and the life that we want to have and how we're going to bring the most amount of people with us to this amazing future place that we're going to get. So I love that you're helping to spread that message that should have been supposed to are words that we should eliminate from our vocabulary. It's probably the Gen Xer in me. Gen Xers hate the word, you know, should or anything that's supposed to be expected of us because nobody yeah. expected it to be anything anyways. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know if you are the TikTok addict that I am, um, mm -hmm. not posting. However, I had to set a timer on my iPhone 
um, that shuts down my TikTok after a certain amount of time per day because I will just lose hours. In fact, when I go to the gym, I used to listen to music and now I'll pull up TikTok and scroll because I found that 30 minutes on the treadmill feels like nothing when I'm watching um, TikTok. Um, however, there's this whole um, Gen X side of TikTok. And some of the millennials did a video and they're like, you know, everybody gets picked up picked on on TikTok like where's Gen X in this why did they get left alone and it's all the Gen Xers responding about how we got because I'm right on the I'm right on the line yep. how we got um left outside that were like it was go outside parents had no idea where you were you were just not supposed to come back till eight o'clock drink out yep. of a garden hose like they're like our entire life was an episode of Survivor there had to be a yeah. commercial that came on that told our parents to check on kids to remind them that they had kids at nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, it's so true. We're just, we came from a different generation. I know. Now we're like, oh, we can't even let our kids walk down the street. Let's watch them go all the way to the door. I know, right? Street, right? Like, let me, yeah, it's, and I'm not disagreeing that the world has changed. However, I don't think mm -hmm. it's changed enough to where, you know, we've, we've got to let people figure it out. I, and I think that probably sums up our generation the most. And I came from a small town. So to whatever extent there was any um, fear of anything happening in a small town, it wasn't there. So it was like, go out, just tell me where you're going to be and when you're going to be home so that I know when to worry. Um, yeah. The reality is that we had this figure it out mentality. Like you were just put outside and you were told to figure out what you were going to do with your time and, and to entertain yourself. And I think that that gets us so far. It does. That's I think why our generation has more entrepreneurs more, or even consultants, like people that are like saying, you know what, I'll work for a company, but I'm going to be an outside consultant because we just naturally don't trust that people will take care of us. We don't trust yeah. the government will take care of us. We don't trust that our kids will take care of us. We're just like, hey, we got to figure it out, you know, and, and there's good and bad to that, obviously, because mm -hmm. you know, we're also not as community minded as the, now the coming with the millennial and the zoomers yeah. generation. They're so much nicer than us. Like we're so yeah. angsty. <laughs> All of our music was angsty, right? But yeah, you know, but to see that they're like more community minded, they're willing to work as a team. You know, that's yeah. that, there's a lot of good to that too. There is, and on that note, I'm super excited for the most recent generation. I lose track of them. I think it's Gen Z, mm -hmm. um, and the creativity that comes out of that because I think that they are just as unwilling to work for somebody else as Gen Xers were, it's just mm -hmm. for different reasons. They know that in the post-technological world that they can make more money than anybody's ever going to pay them doing it on their own. And then you get the, well, they never work and they never do this. Like, don't hate that they're making more mm -hmm. money than you are and they don't have to work a nine to five job. Like, exactly. I, I'm sorry that you made the choices that you did and you can always make different ones, but don't hate on somebody else for doing it differently. No, they're really, they're really turning to be the nicest generation. Like they're willing yeah. to, like, they're willing to try to learn from the mistakes that they see, even from us Xers and stuff and the boomers, you know, we, we have the Karens, right? That's, that's yeah. what we have as Gen Xers, but, but it's true. Like, um, cause they're, they're willing to do, you know, like do their own thing, but they're willing to work together. I think yeah. that's a unique quality that they, they know they, they have sympathy for everybody that and there's good and bad because we have the world that's saying like, okay, now we're we're like letting everybody just be whoever they want to be. And you know, even to the point is like, okay, they might be a little crazy and we are still trying to accept them and love them, which we should be right. Yeah. Unless I use the word should, I know that's a bad word, but um, I, I don't think that's a bad thing to. Uh, it's not to a bad people. thing when it's acknowledged for what it is. Um, yeah. I also think that um, kind of the passive aggressiveness comes from our generation too, because we didn't really want to be involved, but we also knew that we couldn't tell people exactly what we were thinking because sometimes it really was not very nice. So committed or beat up. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, true. exactly. Um, so with that being said, we're coming to the end of our time together, which makes me sad. Um, I want to ask you just a couple random round questions. Are you okay with that? Please let's do it. Cool. If you could do anything other than what you're doing now, what profession do you think would have been fun to attempt? Oh my goodness. I get asked that a lot. I mean, everyone's off debate about going back towards ballroom dancing, but it's kind of left me at this point. Um, I, I think actually being like a health coach would be fun. Ooh, yeah, that would like, be really cool. 
especially with my marathon and, and just the things I've learned and nutrition and things like that. Not that I would say I'm a huge expert, but it'd be something I'd be like, I could probably dabble in that and be good for a beginner level type yeah. of person. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? You know, I would probably time travel just 10 more years just mm. because I know that there's a big, they call it the fourth turning as Neil Howe calls it. That's happening. And that's about the end of the fourth turning, the climax. It'd be kind of cool to see the end for the big, well, I guess the, yeah, the end from the beginning, I guess is sort of what it is, but I would like to kind of just see like even just 2035, for example, like what, what did we learn? What lessons did we learn from like going through major chaos? Cause I think we're going to go through major crisis here in the next five to 10 years. What did we learn and how do we come out stronger for it? I think that's something that kind of gives you hope to kind of pull you into the future. Yeah. Um, anybody that's listening to this that wants to live life on their terms, whether that's the mindset side of things, the money side of things, or the lifestyle side of things, what is a resource that they should either read or consume other than your amazing podcast, Money Ripples? You know, um, if I went to the, I mean, there's so many I could recommend on the business side of things, but if I were to say business and money, I'll recommend two books. Um, I, this guy should probably start paying me after a while. I've had him on my <laughs> show before. His name is Mike Michalowicz. If you guys have okay. ever heard of Profit First, that's yeah. a great book, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Like that's a must read if you're an entrepreneur. Uh, it's kind of like the rich dad, poor dad for entrepreneurs, right? Okay. Um, and then you've got another book that he wrote called The Pumpkin Plan. And uh, that's something I've been focusing on lately um, as I've been paring down and trying to simplify to what's like the really the most efficient activities in your life and in your business. Pumpkin Plan is a great practical way to see how to actually do that, especially in your business. Awesome. Um, I am a music nerd. So this might be the most important question I ask on this podcast. What is your pump up song? What do you turn on when you um, just know that you need to have a good day? Oh man, it depends because I, I'm like one of those weird eclectic guys. And so you and me both. it's like, you know, sometimes I'll, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the eighties as much, but sometimes like walking on sunshine, I'll, I'll yeah. want to put that on. Sometimes it's like, you know, for my kids, I'll turn on Tootsie Roll, you know, or, uh, <laughs> or, uh, I'll put on an ACDC. Like I love ACDC. I'll like turn on like Thunderstruck or something just to kind yeah. of jam out. I mean, it really just depends. I love it. Um, and then lastly, people want to continue this conversation and they want to learn more about you. What is the best place for them to reach out to you? What's the best way for them to connect? Yeah. Best ways you can go to our website, moneyripples.com. You can check that out. Um, or just find our Money Ripples podcast. Awesome. Um, Chris, it has been absolutely amazing to have you on the show. I love the eclecticness of your background, the different experiences that you get to bring to what you do personally and professionally, and the um, goals that you have for legacy and impact. I think all of those things combined make you so unique in the financial world. And I'm really excited to be able to help you share that message. So thank you for being on the show with me. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for making fun. Of course.